Good morning, church family. Good morning. It is good to be here and worship the Lord, just singing great. Great are you, Lord. You know that your heart and my heart was created for moments like this, for, for moments when you and I can acknowledge and recognize that we were created for the glory of God. And that's why when we worship, there's something in you that just feels right, isn't it? Just feels right. It's because of that God made us for His glory. It is good for me to be here. It is a, it is a blessing, actually, for me to be here. My name is uh, Sergio. I won't say it in Spanish. You know, it was really good to, to hear Spanish this morning. Uh, I am, my name is Sergio Villanueva, and I, and I serve in a, in a church as a worship pastor, and I have the privilege to be here with you before in other occasions. But uh, this morning is, is, is special um, to me, because I know that we're starting a new season here in, in Troy Village, and, um, and I just uh, I find it as a great honor that uh, the Lord has just uh, given me this opportunity. Pastor Chad and JL are in a retreat this weekend, and Pastor Will and Lily and their family, they're at the main campus, and the whole church, uh, the rest of our church, is praying for them uh, this morning. Uh, let me tell you a little bit about, about myself. I, so this is the first time that I'm bringing the word here. I became part of our church uh, almost 15 years ago. Uh, and uh, I started uh, serving in our Iglesia del Pueblo. Back then it was called Iglesia Biblica de Wheaton, Wheaton Bible Church in Spanish. And uh, that was when we were in downtown Wheaton. And I joined the church primarily to serve in the area of, of leading worship in our Spanish congregation. So for all these years, almost 13 years, I've been serving there as a worship pastor in our, in our Spanish service. And recently, for almost like a year and a half, I've been serving as, as worship pastor in all of uh, different services, it's just overseeing of different worship teams. So every time that I have the opportunity to go and visit one of our services, it's a uh, it's a blessing for me to see how God is moving in a different places. I love how God is so special in the way that he has made us. He has made us very unique. Each one of you has something that nobody else has. And that's actually a beauty in, in the body of Christ. I don't know why so many times we fight so much and we try for other people to be like us, to think like us, to do the things that we want them to do. And then in the end, well, first of all, it never happens. It never happens. But then you recognize this. God didn't make us that way. God didn't make us that way. In the same way that when he created the leaves in the, in the trees, um, none of those leaves are the same. None of those are the same. And that's by design. Because when you look at a tree and you see all the shapes and the colors, you can say, that's a beautiful tree. And I want to imagine that God, when he sees all creation, he sees all of us, all of us bringing different uh, flavors and perspectives and uh, interesting quirks and all that stuff. <laughs> God sees all that, and he says, that's beautiful. That's my family. That's my family. Um, so this morning, we want to continue in this uh, sermon series that we've been going as a church for the last weeks. And this is a series of Nehemiah. And we have called this series Restored. Nehemiah is, if you've been here with us in the last few weeks and listening to the messages, 
uh, Nehemiah is the story of this man that God chose to bring uh, renewal into his community. Uh, Nehemiah was not a prophet necessarily or a priest or a religious man in his time. He was a public uh, servant. He served for the government. And when he saw the need that his people had, when the walls of his city were uh, destroyed, he said, I need to do something. And the whole book of Nehemiah is the reawakening in the heart of this man of going back to his city and bring this reawakening, this restoration, this renewal in the city. And obviously, we as a church, we all know that the Word of God, uh, the, the, the Old Testament and the New Testament, they always pointing us to the hero of the whole Bible, which is Jesus. And we know that the book of Nehemiah is not only about Nehemiah, the man who went to restore these walls, but it's pointing also to Jesus, the man that came down from heaven to restore our broken lives. So as we go into Nehemiah, again, uh, we're going to go to verse uh, chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. That's going to be the text for us this morning. Uh, I would invite you, if you can, if you want to stand up for the reading of God's Word. Um, we want to make a point every time that we read in our services the Word of God for the message. To be standing up is a sign of reverence for us. It is good for our souls. The Word of God says, Nehemiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. When word came to Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it. Though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates. Sambalat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message. And each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time Sambalat sent his aide to me with the same message. And in his hand was an unseen letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt. And therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have even been appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. This is, there is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I pray, now strengthen my hands. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your presence in our lives. Thank you for your love 
thank you for displaying your love to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit that enables us to understand your word. And I pray, Lord, that by the power of your Spirit, you will open our hearts and open our minds. And as we go to this text and this word from you, from your Bible, we may be able to see your love and your will for our lives, your grace, and your continuous presence in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you. I would like us this morning to see the passage in these three different parts. If we can divide it in these three parts, the project, the plot, and the prayer. And as we go through the, the whole passage again and try to um, meditate in everything that he's saying, I want you to keep in, in mind these three, three areas, the project, the plot, and the prayer. Let's start with the project. So what's happening here is the Nehemiah is already completed with the help of the community of Israel, the people of Israel, the wall. They already rebuilt these walls. They, it says, the scripture says that they only needed to uh, put the gates. That was what is, was uh, left, left uh, in place to do. Now, when they are finishing and he's still working... Nehemiah had these enemies, and he's mentioning them, Sambalat and Gershem and Tobias. And these enemies didn't want the people of God to be united and to thrive as a community again. They have different interests, and they didn't want the people of God to be together. And these people are going to try to make Nehemiah's life miserable from the get-go. So when we see Nehemiah, and this is verse is very important, verse 3, we have it on the screen. And it says, Nehemiah is saying this, I am, I am carrying on a great project. These enemies are coming and they're, are gonna, they're going to try to trick him. We'll see that in the plot. We'll see that. We'll go back to that part of the story. What I want you to pay attention now is that what Nehemiah is doing, it's so important that he's saying this, I am carrying on a great project. Notice that he doesn't only say a project. He's not only saying I am working. He's saying I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Two things that I want you to notice on these words from Nehemiah. Number one, the importance of what he's saying. And number two, the urgency which he is saying these things. The importance. So the importance of the task that he has been giving. He's calling it great project. Other versions says great work. I am doing a great work. And then he says, this is so important that I cannot go down right now. So the enemies are going to say, uh, Nehemiah, we need you. Let's go meet. We need to get this, this meeting together. And Nehemiah says, I can't. I have this great work that I have to finish, and I cannot go down right now. So how many times do we actually have projects to do that have great importance? Think about this. How many times do you have 
projects that have great importance and at the same time have urgent care. Have you think about it? Think about it for a moment. How many of the things that I do are things of great importance and are also things that need urgent care? Now, that's depend who you ask in a household, right? If you ask the husband or if you ask the wife, because if you ask the wife, she could probably tell you, well, I've been telling my husband to do this, that is, we need it, and then for the husband it's not urgent. It might be important, but it doesn't seem like urgent. That's why there's some, a couple of projects somewhere along the garage, right, that still need to be finished. How many of the things, you think about, now, when, when it's something that you love, every single thing that you want, you give it great importance. Everything that you do, you give it great importance. Like if you're studying, and then you have homework pending, and then you need to um, finish that paper by Friday, it may be Thursday afternoon, and you're like, ah, I still don't have time. Because that's, that's something that you love and you like. So the important diminishes in the way that the heart approaches the project. When you love something, when you love someone, suddenly that project takes great importance. You know, I remember the time when I um, was um, dating my wife. My wife is here. Rosie is my wife. And uh, we've been married for uh, 26 years. We're going on 27. Um, and uh, I remember, because uh, I was in Mexico, and she was here in Chicago, and I remember the time when it was, uh, I, I needed to, and remember, this is in the 90s, so there's no Facebook, <laughs> FaceTime, WhatsApp, or anything. So if you, you it's, it's a hardcore, it's like either the phone, or you take a plane. And I remember those bills on the phone back in those days. That will show you where was the hearts were placing importance. This, we believe, it was a great project. <laughs> it still is. <laughs> so the heart is always going to tell you what. Now, this is the thing. The Bible says that a heart is deceitful. So many of the things you do in your life that you consider are great projects. When you put them in God's perspective, they're not great projects. They're just things you like, just things you love. They don't have the urgency that other things that from God's perspective, he's seeing and he's giving them great importance and urgent care. The difference between work and mission doesn't lay in the nature of what we're doing. See, people could be saying, oh, Nehemiah is just building a wall. He's just putting his stones in order. And Nehemiah knew that his job was more than just setting stones. He knew that this work was commanded by God. Nehemiah knew that sometimes we have projects and that we think they are great importance, but they're not. But Nehemiah knew that his work was a great project because it was more than work. It was a mission from God. 
And he didn't lay, the importance of his work didn't lay in the nature of the job, but in the aiming of his heart. There's a, a professor uh, who wrote a commentary on Nehemiah. His name is James Hamilton. And he says this, significance comes less from what work is being done than from whom the work is for and how we do it. So the significance of the work that we're doing, it doesn't have to do necessarily with the kind of work that you're doing, but who are you doing it for? And why are you doing that? And that's why we believe that when we aim for God's glory, when you know your work is for God's glory, you know that you are doing a great job. Aiming for God's glory converts simple work into great mission. Think about it. What you do during the week, if you work in an office, if you work in a factory, if you're a homemaker, or you're a student, everything you do matters. Not because of the nature of what you're doing. That is important, yes. But of greater importance is who you're doing it for. Paul will say to the Colossians, everything that you do, it be in work or deeds or words, do it for the glory of God. So then you see that how your heart approaches something, it makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. Not only in your delight of doing that, but in knowing why you're doing it for. He's here in Nehemiah, he's building this wall, and he understands that he's, what he's doing is just more than bringing some kind of protection to the city. You know that that wall meant the dignity of that people. That wall meant that God was prom- fulfilling the promises of being with these people. That wall meant for the people that they could be together and be a community again and not just disperse like they would be living unto that time. Now my question to you is, when you do what you do, do you see it at work? Do you see it as just job? When you go to your job, do you just see it as a job? Don't see it as a job. If you are a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple, and if your heart is aiming for the glory of God, if your desire is say, God, I want, I want to honor you in everything that I do, then you don't have a job, you have a mission. You have a mission. And that's a great mission. It's what we see in Nehemiah. Now, let's see the plot. Let's see what's happening with these enemies that are trying to distract and deceive Nehemiah from what he's doing. I have learned that uh, in this passage, we see these, the enemies bringing these three things into, against uh, Nehemiah. They are bringing deception, distraction, and despair. That's what they want to do in Nehemiah's heart. That's what they want to bring. Deception, distraction, and despair. And I have learned 
that many times that the enemy is working against us, most of the time is the same plot over and over again. And he uses it over and over again because it works. We just fall into it. We just fall into it. Deception, distraction, and despair. We're going to see that in the text. But I also want you to see this, that every time that the enemy is bringing these weapons against Nehemiah, Nehemiah is responding. Now, let me make a parenthesis. And when we talk about enemies as the body of Christ, as the church of Jesus, when we talk about enemies, we're not talking about people. Actually, the Bible says, Ephesians says, Paul is telling the Ephesians, your war is not against flesh and blood, right? It's against principalities. It's against spiritual um, forces. It's against what the Bible calls the devil and all the falling angels. It's against the world, not the people in the world, but the value system of the world. So the Christian basically has three enemies. Number one, the devil. Number two, the world or the system of the world, how the world thinks and lives and, 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 and all the values that it wants to impose in, in you. And the third one, which is the one that sometimes we don't get to discern, but it sometimes is the most dangerous one because it's the closest one to us. It's our own heart. It's our flesh. It's everything in me that doesn't want God, even though there's so much in me that wants God. And the Bible calls that the fight against the flesh and the spirit. So when we talk about the enemy, I want you to have this in mind. Not only the devil, but also the system of the world, and also your own heart and your flesh trying to deceive you. The Bible says that God doesn't tempt anyone. He doesn't, God doesn't bring temptation to anyone. We all are tempted by our own disorderly passions and selfish desires. So every time that the enemies bring deception, distraction, and despair, Nehemiah responds with discernment, determination, and dependence. Discernment, determination, and dependence. And we're going to see that. Let's go to uh, Nehemiah 6.2, deception. See, Sambalad and Hashem, they send this message. This is the message. Come, let us meet together. That sounds fun. I mean, if this is... <laughs> You want to go for lunch, Nehemiah? I'm always, I'm always up for lunch. If you want to take me to anywhere you want to take me, I'll go to Burrito or I'll go to McDonald's. I'll go anywhere you want to take me. I'll go for a lunch. But then <laughs> these people are saying, come, let's meet us together. See, this is how you, the enemy always going to, they're not going to come like, Nehemiah, get down there because I'm going to beat you up. He's not going to come like that. The enemy comes, the Bible says, as an angel of light. So you know what? When, when we see all this, and now that Halloween is approaching, and all these things with all the monsters and demons and all that stuff and witches, uh, and we say, oh, no, we don't want that. And of course, we don't, we don't want anything that, comes, that doesn't come from God. But most of the time, the enemy doesn't come like that. He's not, uh, he's not coming with that red 
disguise and horns, right? He's coming as an angel of light. He's coming with things that you like. He's coming in, 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 in ways of people just talking nice to you and bringing adulation to your life so you will feel uh, whatever uh, temptation you are facing through, you feel special and cared for and loved for. And these people are saying, come, let's meet together. But watch what Nehemiah says in the end of this verse. They were scheming, thank you, scheming to harm me. That's the discernment. That's the discernment. You can give me the next slide. That's it. The discernment comes at the end. So half through the verse is, come let us meet together in one of the villages. And then Nehemiah says, uh-uh. They were scheming to harm me. This is, this is not right. This is a plot. Now, where is this discernment coming from? This discernment comes from the Lord. The Bible says that God wants us to grow in wisdom. You need wisdom. Wisdom brings discernment. Wisdom is what's going to help us to determine if something is right, if something is wrong. We want to be people that are led by the Spirit. We don't want to be people that only react to what's happening. We want to be people that respond in the midst of what is happening. I have this, uh, this saying that I just came up for it to, re- to be a reminder for myself, but I made a little, um, uh, like a frame of it, I put it on, on my office. And it says this, spectators react, worshipers respond. Spectators react, worshipers respond. And the idea is this, then we are so used to, the world is always reacting. You, don't, you know where you can see how the world reacts to everything? Just go to Twitter. That's where the people react for everything. They're, most of it is just reacting. People is just reacting to what's happening. And so many times I see Christians reacting to what's happening. Instead of taking the time to say, Spirit of God, lead me. Give me wisdom. Give me discernment. How do I respond in the middle of this? It feels good, but it might not be good. And the second thing that we see is the distraction that they want to bring. And the enemy is going to try to distract you. The enemy knows that God has called you into a mission. That you don't only have a job, that you have a mission from God. And he's going to try to distract you to accomplish, so that you don't accomplish that mission. Nehemiah 6.4 says this, Four times they sent me the same message. Four times they sent me the same. So it's Nehemiah, you want to get together? He says, no. Nehemiah, you want to get together? No. Nehemiah, you want to get together? No. You, you, need to, you need to take them like they have persistence. These people have persistence. And so does the devil. And so does the world. And so does our heart. When he wants what he wants. And look at the, at the response. The determination from Nehemiah. Each time I gave them the same answer. Each time I gave them the same answer. 
You know what I believe? I believe that Nehemiah didn't come up with those answers on the spot. I believe that long before what we see, I believe that when we saw the first prayer in Nehemiah, in Nehemiah chapter 1, remember the first prayer that he says, Oh, sovereign God, awesome God. He is preparing his heart, and he is making a determination that says, Lord, I will do this for you. Determination doesn't come right in the moment. Determination comes way before, when you're aiming your heart towards what matters. When you're aiming your heart to God's glory and you say, God, I want to live for your glory. Your heart is settling and saying, I'm going to live for you. It doesn't matter what. This morning, we have some of our brothers and sisters running the Chicago Marathon. Yeah, some people, I don't know if they're here. I mean, obviously they're not here, but I mean, if they're part of Tri-Village. Uh, I know some in, 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 in Iglesia, some of our friends are, are running this morning. I've never ran a marathon. I always say that one day I would like to, just to say that I did it. But I know that that doesn't happen just like if I say and I want to do it. Right? It needs preparation. It needs determination. So the people that are running this morning in this weather, to run a marathon, you need to be a little crazy. That's what I tell my friends, right? Who runs 26 miles just because? Who runs 26 miles in this weather just because? <laughs> but they didn't sit this morning and woke up this morning saying, huh, should I run or not? That decision was already made months ago. So if today is cold or it's, or it's not cold, it doesn't matter because the decision was already made. When temptation comes, you don't want to make the decision there. The decision needs to be made now. I'm going to stay strong. I'm going to face whatever comes because my heart is aiming to the glory of God. It doesn't matter what comes, Lord, with your grace. If you sustain me, Lord, I make a determination that I will not say yes to the devil, yes to the world, or yes to my heart. I will say yes to you, Lord. That's the determination. That's why we, that's why we come here, and that's why we sing, and that's why we go to the Scripture. That's why we practice all the spiritual disciplines. It's because your soul needs to be trained in that. In the same way that the people that are running the marathon are being training for months, the temptation that you're going to face next year, you're doing the training now, even if you don't know it. While we are going together, as we as a, as a community of faith, as a congregation, are facing in this time of transition, God, God prepared you for this months before. Whatever happens, Lord, you're with us, and we'll keep walking. That's the determination that comes when your heart is grounded in God. Now, another way that they're trying to distract Nehemiah is in uh, verses 5 to 7. So listen, verse 5 says, Then the fifth time, this is the fifth time that they're trying to distract him. 
Sambalat sent his aide to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter. And, and the meaning of the uh, un, unsealed letter is that it was obviously open to anyone, and it was trying to be um, uh, in, trying to be intimidation. It was like a public letter for everyone to see, in which was written, "It is reported among the nations." Listen to this. It was reported. This is all lies. Nehemiah has never done this. So the enemies are saying, it has been reported among people. Someone is saying this. And he's saying that it's true. Geshem says it's true. That you and the Jews are plotting to revolt. So now they are bringing motives into Nehemiah's heart. They're saying, you are doing this because of this. You're not doing this because of God. You are doing this because of you. You plan to revolt. And therefore, you are building this wall. According to these reports, you are about to become their king. That's what you want. See, the enemy so many times is going to come with lies. Lies. Just plain lies. Now, those some lies are going to be mixed with some truth. Nehemiah didn't want to be the king. He wanted to be a leader. And he wanted to bring the people together. But not a king. And this lies is saying, you are doing this because of this. You want the recognition. You want everybody to see you. You want everybody to know that you're good. How are you going to respond to that? Verse 7, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, the intimidation again. So, Come, let us meet together. We'll go back to square one. <laughs> you know, by this point, someone will say, okay, okay, let's go meet. But Nehemiah, no, no. This is a trick. This is a trap. In verse 8, he gives us the determination. This is what he says. I send him this reply. Nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. This is, this is our lies. This is our lies. And he's standing strong, knowing who is the one who called him and what is it that he needs to do. Now, we can see this. We can see this in, in, in the enemy tempting Adam and Eve. So God is saying that you, can, you, don't, you cannot eat of anything here. Lies. God knows that if you do this, you'll be like him. We see the devil bringing temptation to Jesus, bringing lies, trying to bring some kind of truth, and then twist it in as a lie. So if you truly are the son of God, prove it and make this stone, in, this rock into bread. Or... You know, all these kingdoms are mine. If you, I'll give them to you if you worship me. And it's always this sense of truth mixed and twisted with lies. You want to be rounded in God's word. To know who you are in Christ Jesus. And to know how to respond when temptation comes. Finally, the, the ending that they want, it's this, verse 9. The despair that they're looking to create in Nehemiah is they were all trying to frighten us. Nehemiah understands and discerns that the, what they want to do is just frighten you. Because the enemy 
Can I make you change your mind if at least he can paralyze you and make you stop doing what you're doing? And he says, their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. Nehemiah understands that this is what they are saying. That their hands will get too weak to finish the work and it will not be completed. Ultimately, what the enemy wants to do is to bring you to a point where you said, I can't. I can't take it anymore. And to giving into the fear and to giving into the despair. You know where I see this so clearly? Remember when the people of Israel, after the Moses uh, gets them out of uh, slavery by the power of God from Egypt, and they go on to the desert, and then the Bible says that they're right whereabout they're going to enter the promised land. God says, bring 12 different spies. Remember the story? And each spy is going to go and see the land, and then they're going to come back with a report. And that report, it's meant to be a report that is going to unify the people and say, let's go take this land that God has given us. Do you remember the story? The story says that 10 of those spies come back with reports very similar to, we can't do this. We can't do this. And you know what's, what's interesting? That they, they exaggerated, like these exaggerations that the enemies are bringing. To choose to, so that you can give in to your fears, the enemy is always gonna make you look things so big and so overwhelmingly impossible. The spies came back saying, You know, when we enter there, we saw giants and we were just like grasshoppers in front of those giants. Imagine the level of the exaggeration, right? Like we were like grasshoppers in, in front of these people. Because that's what happens. When you start giving in to fear, you exaggerate everything. That's why we need God's discernment. That's why we need God's determination. That's why we need God's dependence. Because you know what Nehemiah is going to do? He's going to take exactly what they are saying. They are saying that their hands will get too weak and that they will not be able to complete it. You know what Nehemiah is going to do? He's going to take exactly Exactly that saying, and he's going to bring it back, and he's going to make it into a prayer. And that's, he's gonna sh that's how he's going to show his dependence, and we'll enter the last part, the prayer. This is, this is Nehemiah showing dependence. Dependence is this prayer, and the prayer is this. Now, Lord, strengthen my hands. Because he is not giving him the reason to the enemies. He's just, saying, he's just understanding, Lord, if I fight this fight on my own, I can't. I need you. Strengthen my hands, Lord. Allow me to finish the project, the work, the mission that you have called me to do by your power and by your grace. Dependence. The victory of the Christian is not improving the enemy that I'm stronger than what you're saying that I am. The victory of the Christian is saying, you may be right, I am weak. But when I am weak is when I'm strong. Because that's where dependence comes in. 
And I say, Lord, I need you. Years in the future, years in the future, we're going to see another man up high doing a great work. And people next to him, Mark 15 says this, they crucified two rebels with him, one on his right and one on his left. Those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, so you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, that's you? Come down from the cross and save yourself. Come down. Don't finish that what you do. Prove us. Prove us. And you know what Jesus was saying? I have a great work. I cannot go down. I have to finish what my father gave me to finish. He didn't only have a work. He had a mission. Because his heart was aiming to God's glory. And because he was doing that for the glory of God, he was doing that to save you and to save me. Now, the prayer of Jesus at the cross was not strength in my head. The prayer of Jesus in this cross was, Father, I'm sorry, not Father, God, God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was abandoned in the cross at the moment of the great mission so that you and I today will know for sure that we will never be abandoned when we are facing our great mission. That great mission points back directly to him. It's what he came to do and tell us to do. He says, now you go and make disciples. Now you go and tell them what I have taught you. Live it with your lives, proclaiming with your words. I will build my church, and there will be no enemies that can stand against them. Let's pray. Father, we come with hearts, Lord, knowing who we are. And knowing, Lord, that uh, we're in great need of you. We need you, Lord. We need you. Lord, we confess that many times we get deceived. We let ourselves be deceived by the enemy. We let ourselves be deceived by, by the world. We let ourselves be deceived by our own hearts. We confess that many times we distract. And we get distracted, Lord, from what you have called us to do. Forgive us, Lord. Father, I pray for brothers and sisters here this morning that they may be giving into despair. And I pray that by your power, you will get them, Lord, out of that pit where they have been waiting. And that they will see that you are good and that you are the restorer of our souls. That you have sent Jesus, Lord, to do this great project, this great work, this great mission to rebuild not just a wall, but a wall, a temple made out of living stones. Men and women from different races and different languages being part of this temple, living temple of God. Grant us, Lord, 
wisdom and discernment as we face whatever we're facing and allow our hearts to always aim at your glory. We have one prayer that I would like to pray. If you may please stand. If we can stand together. There's a prayer based in Nehemiah. It's a short prayer based in Nehemiah 1, 6, what we just read, and in Psalm 90. And I want to invite you, if you would like to, you don't have to do it, but if you'd like to just extend your hands as a sign and as a symbolism of saying, Lord, these are my hands, many times they were weak, but also as a, as a sign of dependence. I depend on you. Will you read it and pray it out loud, all of us together? Oh, Lord, God of heaven, great and awesome God, grant us strength as we carry on with this great mission. Grant us discernment as we hear the voice of our adversaries. Grant us confidence as we confess the weaknesses of our hands. May the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of your hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Amen.